uh, Thursday night for our Christmas Eve service, you heard me talk about um, Charlie Brown and, and Charlie Brown Christmas and how much Charlie Brown's Christmas meant to me growing up all the way uh, even into adulthood as my kids got into Christmas and being able to share that with them. And, and part of the reason was because Peanuts was always one of my favorite cartoons uh, as a little kid. Matter of fact, it was one of our traditions uh, as a family uh, back when I was a kid, and this may be some of you younger people, we used to get our news through a paper thing that was called the newspaper. Uh, it came every day, and on Sundays when you got it, uh, there were comics. There was a whole section of comics, and Sunday's comics were in color. And so it was always so cool to be able to go, and uh, my dad would read the paper, and I would go and pull out the Sunday comics, and on the front strip on the very top of the page was Peanut. And so you could read the Peanuts cartoon, and, and uh, it was always so funny. And, I, and the reason I love Peanuts is as I got older, I began to realize that Charles Schultz, uh, what made it so genius, and you can go back and read them now or you can watch any of the shows, is that he had a way of, of appealing to kids and appealing to young people, but also appealing to adults. There was always an underlying truth in all of his comics that uh, would appeal to every age. And uh, in him being a Christian, he was a Christian, very strong uh, Nazarene and the Nazarene faith, and, and uh, he would always add some Christian themes, especially around the holidays. And uh, one of my favorite comics, and I've got a copy of it in my office, Sunday Comics, uh, it, it had Charlie and Lucy getting ready for Christmas. And if you know the relationship between Charlie and Lucy, it was never a good one. Lucy was the one who always pulled the football out from under Charlie Brown when he went to kick the ball. Never good. Uh, the first strip of this comic had Charlie Brown and Lucy standing there, and Lucy saying, Charlie Brown, I've got an idea. Since this is the Christmas season, why don't you and I get rid of all of our past or make amends and be friends for this season? And it had a middle one was just them staring at one another. And so there was a, a moment of Charlie Brown thinking, and the third part, third strip, had Charlie Brown looking at her saying, Lucy, that's a great idea. But why only do it this time of year? Why not be friends year-round? And the next one had a picture of just Lucy staring at him in the way only Lucy can. And the last one, it had her looking at him uh, with an exasperated look on her face saying, Charlie Brown, are you some kind of fanatic? Uh, with the idea that, that Christmas was special. You can't, you can't extend this idea of Christmas. It only comes one time a year and keep it in that moment. And I think probably some... Uh, of us that, like me, that don't want Christmas to end. I, I'm one of those that, that's why we still have the Christmas stuff up. We may have it up next week. I don't know. Uh, I don't like Christmas to end. I, I don't like it to be over so soon. And I know a lot of people uh, would think that you're a fanatic for thinking that way because it's been Christmas for now for two months and uh, people are ready for it to go. Matter of fact, I think Walmart's already got their Valentine's stuff out. Uh, they're just ready to move on to the next holiday, ready to push it kind of aside. A lot of people took all their Christmas decorations down yesterday or taking them down today, and uh, we move right into the new year. But I like the idea of Christmas extending a little longer because I like the idea of us allowing the spirit of Christmas and the meaning of Christmas to permeate our spirits a little longer than just the one day that we usually do. Because you need, imagine what would happen if we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, would take the words of those songs that we sing at Christmas peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And we would begin to apply those things throughout the year. Imagine what would happen if the goal of our heart was to have peace with all 
other mankind, peace with one another, if we would strive to be peaceful in all of our relationships, imagine how that would change our year. Imagine if, if goodwill towards all, if we applied that to our life this year, if we strive to be good, strive to be kind, strive to put the needs of others before our own throughout the year, imagine how different a year you would have in 2016 than you had in 2015. God liked the idea of Christmas going just a little bit longer, Christmas extending beyond just the holidays. I mean, what would happen if we would apply some of those truths in everyday living? That's why this morning's message is entitled, When Does Christmas End? Because my wish and my hope is that while the holiday may be over, you may have to go back to work, some already, you may have to go back to school, and you may take the decorations down and the songs aren't on the radio anymore and Hallmark stopped playing the movies, hopefully, and uh, we move beyond all that Christmas stuff that the meaning of the Christmas spirit would never end. I've heard people describe Christmas as kind of being like skydiving. Uh, you know, when you skydive, and I would never know because I'm scared of heights, I would never jump out of a perfectly good airplane, but I've had friends that have done it or have talked about it, and they say there's just such an exhilaration that you get to the door and and you jump out, and, and there is such a rush and such an overwhelming sense of emotion, and it's, just, it's hard to describe to people that don't do it, and the wind's just rushing at your face, and, and all of a sudden you begin to realize after a while that the ground <coughs> is coming up on you, so you pull the ripcord, and it hesitates your fall, and you float for a little while, and just this free sense of just relaxation, that everything's just... You know, you're safe because you're, you're not falling anymore and you're, you're going slow and you're still getting the same view. And it's just an overwhelming adrenaline rush, an overwhelming emotional rush. And then all of a sudden you come and you, you land on the ground and poop, you're, it's over. It's gone. And no matter how much you talk about it, no matter how much people took pictures of you and everybody, those feelings can't be duplicated. Once you're on the ground, you can't say, I, I wish this would all happen. And for some, that's the way the Christmas season is. Whenever we began to get geared up towards Christmas, all of our emotions start getting poured into it and all of our uh, hopes and, and you start buying presents and you start seeing the decorations and hearing the song and kind of like jumping out of an airplane. Everything's just kind of moving fast. And the hol- I mean, it, it's amazing. that It seems like once you get past Thanksgiving, it's just a headlong rush. You, you go to sleep and you wake up and Christmas is already here and it's Christmas Eve already and it's just rushing towards you. And then on Christmas Day, you, you pull the ripcord and everything just kind of stops. And you just kind of sit in that moment. Many of you, Christmas morning, as your children or grandchildren were opening prayer, you just kind of sat there and took it in. Kind of like just floating in a, in, in a parachute, just taking it all in. The emotion, the love, the overwhelming sense of family, the, the Spirit of God that fills you. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're on the ground and it's over. All of it dissipates. People go home. Stuff comes down, and, and it's like there's an emotional letdown. And I don't know if that's how Christmas is to you, but I know for many people it, it happens so rapidly when it ends. And we just go back to our everyday lives. All those songs and all those feelings and all those emotions, they disappear, and we just, all of a sudden we go back to work, and, and those are gone. You know, for the very first Christmas, it wasn't like that. Because all of those that we talk about in that very first Christmas, all of those that that we use in the manger scene, their lives were never the same because of what happened at Christmas. 
Those shepherds, their lives were never the same. Those magi, their lives were never the same. And certainly Mary and Joseph's life was never the same. They were changed forever because you see, in reality, the meaning and the spirit of Christmas changes everything. And whether you want to admit it or not, this Christmas, there are changes that have taken place in your life. Changes that, that you have to decide whether or not you're going to apply to your life in the coming year or whether you're just going to let end as the holidays come to a close. But I want to suggest to you that those of us that are trying to be disciples of Christ, those of us that are trying to follow Christ, have got to find a way to not allow those changes to end. You see, while there was a lot of things that happened at Christmas, there were some things that Christmas didn't change that we wished it did. Some things that that didn't disappear that we wished would have happened at Christmas. And and some of those things are described in our passage this morning. And I'll just read it. Some of it's given your order, sir. Just listen. And and it's some of the passage that we read last week. Picks up in Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading verse 13. It said, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And this is after the Magi, after they've all come in. Joseph and, and Mary are there with the baby Jesus. And it said, The Lord... Uh, sent an angel to speak to Joseph. It said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up and he took the child and his mother in the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled that the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger in accordance with what he had learned from the Magi. And with that, it fulfilled what the prophet Jeremiah had said. And he quotes Jeremiah chapter 15 here. The voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. For Rachel weeping and her children refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And just talking about the prophecy of what would happen in Bethlehem when the Messiah had come. And then he goes on. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And we didn't know how long that was. Some people say four years. Some people say five years. But when he heard that Archelaus, who was Herod's son, was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazareth. That's interesting that in Matthew chapter 2, we have such a dichotomy of a picture. Because you see, as much as we would wish and as much as we hope, that very first Christmas, while it changed a lot of people and it changed a lot of things, the one thing it didn't change is it didn't change evil's appearance in this world. It didn't change that there would be bad things happen in this world. You see, a lot of people like to think that that Christmas, it eliminates bad things, but it didn't. The birth of Jesus didn't take away bad things. Matter of fact, in the same passage, you have the, the manger scene, the birth of Jesus, and you have Herod jealous and pursuing to kill children. I mean, think about that. In that same Christmas story that we tell every year at Christmas, you have the birth of Jesus, you have the shepherds, and you have the, the magi coming, and you have this glorious scene of hope being introduced in the world, and you have the ultimate evil with Herod, the ruler of Judea, murdering baby. See, as much as we'd like for it to be a reality, evil is still around. Jesus' birth didn't eliminate it. Christmas didn't change that. 
Matter of fact, if you turn on the news, you'll realize that bad things happened all weekend. There were floods in Alabama that people were killed. Tornadoes, as a matter of fact, yesterday in, in church that I served in when I was in seminary in North Dallas, uh, tornadoes went right through that area, destroying friends of mine's home, hitting some family members of mine's home. Eight people were killed, people that were probably opening their Christmas presents and, and celebrating Christmas, and in the middle of the night, a tornado comes through. People were murdered this weekend. People were killed in the Middle East. And you think, how can that happen at Christmas? It happened at the very first Christmas. You see, Christmas didn't eliminate evil. It didn't get rid of bad things happening. And it didn't eliminate suffering. The very first Christmas morning, soon thereafter, sons, grandsons, brothers, cousins, nephews, murdered, taken from their mother's bed. That quote from Jeremiah, the, the mothers were so inconsolable. They were so filled with grief that you couldn't say anything to make them feel better. Suffering is a part of this world. Historians believe that probably 25 to 35 babies were killed in the Bethlehem Judea region by Herod that first Now think about that. In a small town, Bethlehem wasn't a town of, of 200. In this small little town, 20 to 25 to 30 babies killed. Imagine the suffering that was going on. Imagine the, the difficulty that was going on. Jeremiah had prophesied that there would be intense suffering. And these were, some of them were Jesus' relatives. Some of them were from the house of David that had come for the census. These were his distant relatives killed because of his birth. See, we'd like to think that because Jesus was born and because of Christmas morning and all that we talk about, the hope and the love and the grace and the peace and the joy, that maybe suffering would diminish or, or maybe evil would diminish, but it doesn't because we live in an evil world. Jesus didn't come to eliminate. He came to overcome. Evil. And if suffering didn't end that very first Christmas for them, it's, it's not going to end for you and I. See, all of us in this room are going to face difficulty. Maybe this year. Maybe this year is going to be a time of trial for you. Maybe it's going to be a time of loss. Maybe it's going to be a time of illness. I wish prosperity preachers were right when they tell us if we just had enough faith, then everything would be blessed. Everything would be good. But God never promised that. That's not scriptural. The reality is, is that you and I are going to face struggles. You and I are going to face suffering. Jesus suffered. He tells us that we're going to suffer, and some of us are going to suffer just because we follow Jesus. Christmas doesn't change that. The first Christmas didn't change that, and this Christmas isn't going to change that. say, well, Pastor, what an encouraging message. Praise the Lord. Amen? Well, that's a great Christmas message. Babies killed. You and I suffer. Pain, evil, struggle. Amen. Let's say a prayer and leave and feel cheerful again, huh? Let me give you a little hint. While that first Christmas didn't eliminate evil, it didn't let evil off the hook. Because the Bible tells us in John, the birth of Christ announced to the world that evil's hold on this world was no longer a reason. You see, what it announced was that now in the midst of the darkness, there was hope. The evil didn't get off the hook. And while the first advent may not have gotten rid of evil, the second advent will. 
And what we need to understand is what Christmas allows us to realize is that we now have hope in the midst of suffering. We now have hope in the midst of evil. We now have an, an idea that no matter what we face this year, no matter what we struggle against, no matter what we come against, we are not alone because Jesus Christ came in flesh to dwell among us. And that you and I can be a part. We need to understand that the birth of Jesus announced the destruction of evil. People say, well, how does evil get destroyed one life at a time? See, evil is destroyed when you and I who follow Jesus Christ repay evil with good. Evil's destroyed when you and I forgive others their trespasses against them. Evil is destroyed one little chip at a time when you and I give somebody that doesn't deserve it unconditional love. Evil is diminished in this world when you and I begin to give grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's what the hope of Christmas is. That's what we need to let live throughout the entire year. The idea that while people around us may struggle and we may struggle and we may suffer, that there is a hope that the evil that we face is slowly being overcome by the light of the world. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and there will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eye. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, Christ didn't eliminate suffering when he was born, but what he did was he gave us the power to overcome it, and he gave us a hope to understand that there will be a day when there will be no more evil. And so you and I this morning have something to be excited about. We have something to, to celebrate. I, I loved it on Facebook this morning. I was checking on friends and, and people that I knew in North Dallas that had been struggling with this, this mess of weather. And every one of them were talking about the hope, about neighbors coming together and reaching out and getting out in the night and helping others and all the things. And I thought, that is the message of faith. That's how evil is eliminated. You see, what we want to ask when we suffer is why. There'll be people that'll ask, why on Christmas? Why on Christmas weekend did bad things happen? But that's not the way the early church prayed. The early church never asked why. You know what they prayed? They prayed when. Not why is this happening, but when is this going to end? That's our prayer. Father, how much longer? But the psalmist writes, the psalmist doesn't say, why is this happening to me? The psalmist says, Father, how much longer must I go through this? Putting their hope, putting their faith in that God is going to come through and that God is going to save them. You see, we need to have faith this morning that there is a promise that there is coming a day when evil and suffering will end, when all of our struggles will be over. Now, those things didn't change because of Christmas, but there were some things that because of the hope of the world. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that we allow the things that did change to permeate our lifestyle. Who says Christmas has to Who says the spirit and the celebration and the hope that you felt and the love that you felt has to come to an end this year? What if we took the spirit of Christmas and made it a centerpiece in our homes this year. 
What if we made all of those principles that we introduced at Advent, that we introduced at Christmas, and made those the foundations of our homes? I think about the very first home and how much change took place for Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine? I mean, she was probably 15, people think, at the highest end. Some people think maybe 14. Joseph had just gotten to the age where he started working. They weren't expecting to start a family. They'd been betrothed to one another, and all of a sudden, here everything changes. Those of you that have children, can you remember what it was like the first time when you had your child and, and you got it from the hospital and they allowed you to take it home? Can you imagine? Do you remember that feeling, that overwhelming sense of just, what do I do now? I, mean, I couldn't believe it. They hand you the baby and they put you in the car and they're like, go. I mean, I, I know, and you get home, and, and hopefully you had parents or grandparents that were there, and they helped a little, and then they leave. And when everybody leaves, and, and you know, and you're kind of hoping, let them go, let them get out. And then they leave, and you're like, please come back, please come back. Because you're like, this is too big of a responsibility. I, I don't know what I can do. Everything changes when you have children, doesn't it? Everything. It touches everything. And everything changed in the very first family. And think about the responsibility that you felt for your kids. They were raising the Son of God. How much more responsibility must they felt? And why not let the change of Christmas permeate our home? Because you see, our homes are so vital. It's so important because it's at home. It's in your family that you not only talk about love and hope and peace and trust, but you live those things out. See, you need to understand, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, is that when your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews, when they hear you talk about hope and joy and love and faith and forgiveness, they are not only hearing it explained, you are defining what that means by your actions. See, they're watching what you they see those things through your lens. You see, when you talk about unconditional love and you live it out, that's how they define unconditional love. When you talk about forgiveness and you live it out, that's how they define forgiveness. And so later, when they're introduced to Jesus Christ, they put your definition of what you modeled, unconditional love and grace and forgiveness, and they push that on Christ. That's why it's so important that we understand that we are defining these terms, the terms of Advent, the terms of Christmas, for our children, for our grandchildren. That's a high responsibility. They're going to follow our example. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we allow the truth of Christmas to change our home, change the way we present joy and peace, forgiveness, love, grace, why does Christmas spirit have to end just because you took the tree down? What if we allowed the Christmas to permeate our lives, to permeate everything that we did, our jobs, our schools, our activities? See, there are a lot of people that like to teach that when you come to Christ, and we talked about this when we talked about cultural Christianity a couple of weeks ago, when you come to Christ, everything gets easy. You know, if you have enough faith and you trust enough, then everything's going to be a bed of roses and all your problems are going to be diminished. That's just not a reality. 
The problem is a lot of people put their hope and faith in that, and we water down the gospel to try to get people to follow or come to church or fill our pews or whatever reason we do. And so people come to faith thinking that, that Jesus is just going to, I want Jesus and everything's going to be clean, all my problems are going to go away. And they put their faith in that, and when it doesn't happen, they're destroyed. See, God never promised us that life would be easy. He just promised that we'd never be alone. That's the message of Christmas. See, the message that God wants us to understand this season is that if we allow those truths to permeate our office, to permeate our homes, to permeate our schools, to permeate our workplace, then it wouldn't matter what we face because we don't face it alone. See, God didn't promise Mary and Joseph it'd be easy. I mean, think about what I just read. And it doesn't come off the page, but think about it. We live... 800 miles away from our family. This is, we moved away from Texas when we moved to Tennessee 15 years ago. In the 15 years that we've lived away from, and we moved with a three-year-old and a two-year-old, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And so in the 15 years that we've lived away, we've spent Christmas with our family twice, 15 years. That's hard. It's difficult. Christmas, you know, and, and listen, I, I sympathize with you. When we lived close to them, I didn't want to do anything with them at Christmas. But now that we're a long way away, it's kind of, it's kind of sad. It kind of, it, we miss them. And so that's tough. And I think about people that are serving overseas, and I think about people that are away from their family at Christmas and how tough that must be. Think about Mary and Joseph. They leave home and go down to Bethlehem for the census. They have a baby. Her mom's not there. Her dad's not there. His parents aren't there. Her siblings aren't there. Nobody gets to see baby Jesus. There's no shower. There's no celebration. And immediately after they have the baby, somebody comes and says, they're going to try to kill your baby. You've got to leave. So instead of going home, they go to Egypt, further away from home. And they spend three or four years away from family and friends. You see, it wasn't like you could get on a bus or you could get in a car and drive down to see them. They probably spent three years away from their parents watching this child grow up. And then when God comes and says you can go home, they can't really go home because they're afraid of what Herod's son's going to do. So they move to Galilee, which is in the northern area of the region. They move to Nazareth. Think about their life once they got back to Nazareth. A young carpenter's apprentice and his young wife with no friends or family trying to begin a home. They had to pay bills. They had to have a home. They had the same anxieties you have, the same worries you have, the same stress that you have, the same difficulties, probably the same arguments. They were real. And then somewhere along the way, and we don't know when, Joseph drops out of the picture. Joseph dies. So Mary's a single mom. Single mom raising children away from home, away from family, away from friends. I wonder if she ever sat back and thought, God, maybe you forgot about me. God, you made those promises you forgot about me. God never promised to them or to us that life would be easy. But the message of Christmas is not Jesus Christ is coming to make life easy. Jesus Christ came into the world so that 
so that we would have a bed of roses and everything would be lined out. You know, that's not the message. The message is that while we live this difficult life in the midst of evil, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggle, we now have hope. Why? Because there is a light in the darkness. Jesus didn't come to remove us from the world. He came to give us the power and strength to overcome the world and to endure the world. You know what the message of Christmas is for you? You now have the light of the world in you. The light of the world. The light that changed everything. The light that changed everything that was to come is now in us. We're not alone. Christ in us. You and I need to understand that the real work of Christmas doesn't end this week. The message of Christmas isn't over. For those that are followers of Christ, it's only just started. It's only just begun. Now comes the tough part. How do we take this and this and all of these things and let them be a part of our life year-round without the song and the movie? in the hoopla, in the difficulty. Thursday night, we had the candlelight service in here. It was a wonderful service. Those of you here, full, packed. We turned off all the lights, and I had my light, my candle started lighting everybody else's candle. And when I had my candle, because I'm standing here, I can't really tell how dark it was, but some people had taken pictures, and it was just dark, dark, all you could see barely see my face in the reflection of my candle. But as we passed out the candles around, the whole room lit up. I mean, it was as lit in here as if we had the lights. Because 225 or 250 people all had candles lit. It lit up everything. That's not the hard part. The hard part is when you take your candle by yourself, and go into a place where you may be the only one who has it. See, that's the hard part. But that's the hope that Christmas has. That no matter where we go, that candle can be put out. No matter what we endure, no matter what we struggle against, that light will always light our way. The songwriter Howard Thurman wrote this, When the songs of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, that's when the work of Christmas began. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to visit the prisoner, to rebuild the nation, to bring peace among brothers and sisters, to make music in our hearts, to take our light into the darkness. That is the message of Christmas. You see, we'll, we'll take down the decorations and put up the tree and put everything back in storage and Presents have all been unwrapped. There's no more suspense. But my prayer for you this holiday is that the music of Christmas will linger in your heart. That the songs of Christmas, the songs of peace and hope and joy continue to resonate. And that those songs and those words will be on your lips and in your heart. And that your home is filled with the fragrance and the sound and the experience of Christmas all year. I hope that we would take the message and that this year when you face difficulty, when you face struggles, when you face suffering, that you would hear 
some of those songs, Christ come, everything changed. See, I pray that the power of Christmas would be just as strong in your heart in July as that you would not allow spirit and message of Christmas. Make it a part. Let's pray.